Good morning. It's good to see everybody. I want to welcome you to Seacoast Church. Uh, my name is Josh Surratt. I serve as a lead pastor here at the church, and uh, we are excited that you're here today. I want to especially welcome all of you that are joining us from uh, one of our 12 campuses around South Carolina and North Carolina. And also, if you're joining us on the internet, we're glad you're here too. I know some of you may be on vacation and you're tuning in, staying connected with church while you're away, and uh, that's a great idea. We commend you for that, and we're glad that you're here. Uh, looking forward to finishing up the series that we're doing called Summer of Love. Before I do that, though, I want to take a couple of moments and address some of the current events that uh, our nation is facing today. Uh, I don't have to tell you what's been going on. Many of you, I'm sure, are aware of uh, the week that we've had as a nation. Uh, we've watched as two men uh, were killed at the hands of police officers, and we don't know the stories there, but, but our hearts have gone out to those situations and those communities and those families. And then, of course, on Thursday night, just watched in and horror as uh, there was a, an assault on police officers in Dallas that left five police officers dead, uh, many others wounded, and it's just been a, a difficult week for our nation. Uh, these are tense times that we're in, and I want to say a couple of things, and then I want us as a church to pray uh, together for our land, for our nation, uh, to, to seek God on this and to, um, to, to really come to Him in light of that. So, so first of all, if you're a police officer here today at any of our campuses, I want you to know that you're in a church that loves and respects you. We recognize that you're a public servant who goes to work every day at the risk of losing your life or being injured, uh, yet you go towards the problems. You're there, and we're thankful for that so that the rest of us can be safe. So we're thankful for you. Uh, we know that you face unpredictable situations every single day. We're praying for wisdom for you. We're praying for protection for you. And you are in a church that respects you and is grateful for you. So thank you to the police officers that are here today. Um, uh, we appreciate you. All of our campuses have officers that come in. You don't see them. Many of them are planes closed, but they, they, they support us and they, they protect us week in and week out here at the church. But I also want to acknowledge that uh, we're, we're living in some, some divisive times right now, racially, uh, politically. In a lot of ways, our country feels very divided. There's division among races. There's division among politics. There's a lot of anxiety right now about the kind of world that, that we're living in. And I, I, I want to talk specifically about racism for just a moment, uh, just to make sure, maybe you're new, maybe you've been coming to the church for a long time, but... But this is a church that, um, that will not stand silent in the face of racism. Uh, I'm not saying that the events this week were rooted in that. We don't know all of the stories. But what, what I do know is that racism is a problem in our country. And there are a lot of people who are hurt, uh, who are angry. And so I just want to encourage you as a church. I have a friend who said it this way. If, if it doesn't get healed, it gets handed down. And, uh, you know, and so I think all of us, in light of what's going on, need to examine our own hearts and make sure that if there is any bias or prejudice or racism in there, that, that, that we deal with it today, that we say, it's going to stop with me. I'm not going to be a part of spreading this on to other family members. I'm not going to be part of spreading this on to future generations. And so uh, our church, I'm thankful that we're a church that's representative of all races, uh, a church that's representative of all political parties. We're very different, but in our differences, we're going to support each other, we're going to validate each other's stories, and we're going to stand against racism of any form or any fashion 
uh, in this church. I saw an article on CNN that was titled, Who Will Heal Our Nation? The author was talking about the presidential candidates and just wondering and asking, are there any leaders who are going to step up and bring healing to a nation that seems to be divided? I thought the, the title of the article was really, really important. A great question. Who will heal our nation? You know, the Bible speaks very clearly about the answer to that question. And I want to read a scripture that speaks to it. And uh, as I do, spoiler alert, the person's last name isn't Clinton or Trump or any other one of us. But God, God can and will heal our nation. But there's something he speaks to about it in Second Chronicles 7 and verse 14. I want to read it to you. He says this, God speaking, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. See, God is the only one who is capable of healing the divides that we're facing in our land today. But what I want you to know is that you and I have a role to play in it. That passage says that if, if God's people, those who are called by his name, those of us that are gathered in all of our campuses today, we have a role to play in the healing of our land. And it's not to get loud and start yelling and make sure our point has been made. It is to humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, and turn from our wicked ways. What if as a church, as individuals, every single one of us was committed to being humble and kind, especially towards people who are different than us, towards people whose stories we don't understand? What if we were committed to, instead of asking for God's blessing, literally seeking his face, asking for his forgiveness, examining our own hearts, and really pressing in and going after him? I'll tell you what would happen. He will forgive us of our sins, and he will heal our land. I believe that's what he wants us to do, and I believe that's what he wants him to do. So I want us as a church to do that, to pray. And, and as we do, I want you to, maybe you need to examine your own heart and we'll give you a chance to do that today during response time. And, uh, but but let's, let's pray together as one church unified. In fact, I'd like for us at all of our campuses, maybe a little bit awkward, um, but grab the hand of somebody next to you. I want us to be unified in our prayer as a church uh, for our nation and for those that have been uh, devastated this week by the stuff that's happened. So let's, let's pray. God, today we come to you as your people, as your church. God, we cry out to you on behalf of our nation. God, we want to see our nation thrive. We want to see unity. God, we want to see racism go away. We want to see, Lord, your healing hand on our nation. And so we do what we only know to do, which is to follow you at your word. God, I know I, I personally repent for the biases and the prejudices that are deep in my heart, God, that the, 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 the reactions that I have that aren't based in love, that aren't based in kindness, God. I, I pray, Lord, that you would forgive me. We as a church pray that you would forgive us, God, that, that we would turn from any wicked way that we have, and we invite you to come and to heal. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you bring unity would you bring healing to this land? We pray for the police officers that are in our community and all around our country. God, we pray that you would give them wisdom for every situation, God. We pray that you would uh, keep them safe, God. Protect them from those that would try to harm them, God. I pray that you would ease the anxiety that they must feel as they go out every day knowing that there is a, a target on their back. 
God, we pray for those who have who've been marginalized in our, our country, those who've been the victims of racism in our country. God, we pray, Lord, that you would begin to bring healing and restoration. We pray for the families of those who were lost this week. And we just pray, God, your comfort, that your spirit would, would guide them through every moment and that they would be voices of healing as well as they process their own grief uh, in a public format. But we invite your healing in our nation, God. We pray, Lord, that you would use us as your church, that you would protect Seacos and this branch of your church, that we would be a people who model and embody humility and kindness and love towards all people in all ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you guys for, uh, for doing that, for praying with me. Uh, I want to kind of transition to finish our series. Like I said, we've been in a, a series called The Summer of Love, and um, as we finish July, is a uh, interesting month for my family because all three of my children, I got three kids, they were all born in the month of July. So pray for us, birthday parties like crazy. And this past week, my son Miles turned nine years old. And as he was opening up some of his presents, one of his friends got him a uh, pack of Pokemon cards. Um, now, if you, like me, are kind of unfamiliar with Pokemon, I actually am very familiar with it these days, but wasn't initially, you're like, what, what's that all about? You've probably seen Pokemon and the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Got a picture. This is, this is Pikachu. Uh, this is kind of the, the mascot for Pokemon. Basically, when I grew up, we had baseball cards that we collected. This is kind of that version of, of that. I, I don't understand it all, but Miles was opening this pack, and all of a sudden, he starts freaking out. Oh my gosh, Dad, I got, oh, look at this, look at this card. I got a, I got a secret rare, I got a secret rare. And I was like, dude, speak my language. I have no idea what you're talking about. No, 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 this is an amazing card. And, he, and then he goes, Dad, this card's worth hundreds of dollars. I was like, you're speaking my language. Give it to me. I got to pay for these birthdays. And so he, he holds up this, this Pokemon card, and it's, it's a Pokemon trainer card. I think I got a picture of it, and, um, and it means nothing to me. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? It's, it's, and he's like, no, no, it's, it's rare. It's secret. It's, it's, it's expensive, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's amazing. And so I do what I know to do is I get on Google right away. I confiscate the card. Uh, by the way, it's in a, a protective package here. It's not so, one of my staff earlier this week was like, you can't put your fingerprints on that card. I was like, no, it's in a protective pass, pa- package. Um, tells you what kind of staff we have here. At Seacoast. Um, but so, so I go onto Google and I look up this Pokemon Switch Trainer secret rare card and come to find out it is in fact a secret rare Pokemon card and it's worth a lot more than a normal Pokemon card. Most Pokemon cards aren't worth much at all. You know, they're worth uh, 10 cents, 15 cents. This one is a secret rare Pokemon card. And so I'm getting my hopes up. I'm excited. Turns out it's not actually worth several hundred dollars. Uh, current market for it's $13.99. Um, unless one of you guys want it for more than that, we can talk after service today. Um, I can sign it if, if I need to. But um, ha- have you ever been fooled by something's value? Have you ever thought that something was worth more than it actually was? Maybe you bought a Prada bag in Chinatown only to find out it was a Nada bag, you know, wasn't actually legit. How many of you saved the Beanie Babies? You guys remember that? You know, when I was growing up, it was like, these are going to be worth thousands of dollars and you saved them and turns out they're not worth anything at all. Uh, Many of us have been fooled by the value of something. 
One of my favorite shows to watch is called Pawn Stars. Have you guys seen that? The, about the pawn shop owner in Las Vegas. Uh, our family, pray for us. We have conflict. When we want to actually watch TV together, my wife and I, she wants to watch HGTV, uh, watch people renovate houses. That just stresses me out. You know, I don't need to look at that. Um, and I like to watch like Storage Wars and, you know, these pawn shop shows. And there, there was a show not too long ago where a man brought in a 50 million year old amber rock that had a spider in it. I, I've got a picture. I don't know if some of you saw this, but this a 50 million year old amber rock that somehow has like a tarantula embedded into this rock. And so he got some opinions about it. He, he had it tested a little bit and he came into this pawn shop and he brought it in and, and he began to negotiate with the pawn shop owner. And they kind of agreed that the value of this, if it was legit, was probably around $50,000. So he was going in to cash out to have his payday. Well, the owner of the store told him, hey, I've got one more person that I want to test it, and, uh, and, and then we'll, we'll agree on a price. It's $200 to have them test it. Are you okay with that? And the guy said, absolutely, I'll pay the $200. Let's get it tested. Well, turns out they got it tested, and it's plastic. And so this poor guy went from a $50,000 profit to a, a, a rock that cost him $200 because it was fake. Uh, big shift in, in, in momentum there. Bummer. Thought it was valuable, ended up being a fake. You know, for just about anything that you can think of, there are tests to find out whether it's real or fake. Did you know that, like diamonds, for example, did you know that there are tests that you can run on a diamond? There's some simple ones. I brought a diamond with me. This is what I, this Lisa's engagement ring. Um, <laughs> she felt like it was gaudy, so she doesn't wear it that much. But <laughs> did you know that with diamonds, if you want to find out if it's real or if it's fake, you can simply blow on it and if it, if it fogs over, then it's fake, but if it stays clear, then it's real. And so like legitimately, like this diamond, for example, I'm gonna blow on it and see what happens. I don't know if you saw that or not, but it definitely fogged over. This is not real. Uh, you guys are shocked by that. Um, by the way, there are men getting nervous all over our church right now because their wives are, <laughs> some of you have already blown on it. I see it happening right now. No, don't do it. Stop. Wait till we get out of church. That's bad. You, you know, for, for gold, you can actually bite into gold. And if it's real, it'll actually make an impression because gold is softer than some of the minerals that, are, that look like gold but aren't real. And so if you actually bite into gold and it makes a, an impression with your teeth, then you know that it's real. It also probably takes away any value that that gold would have had because now it's got your your teeth marks in it, but, but there, any, anything that's valuable, you can typically test it to find out if it's real or if it's not. We're wrapping up this series, as we said, called Summer of Love, and we've been talking about what I believe is the most valuable thing that any human being can experience, which is the love of God. And we've been talking about this incredible love that God has for us, that, that God is love. We've been studying the book of 1 John, and, and because of that, because of the fact that God is love, we, we can know that God is not disinterested in, in our lives. God's not distracted. He's not angry with us. He is love. And we've been exploring some different, different facets of that love that God has for us. And because of his love, we can experience love uh, for, for ourselves. We can see ourselves in a, a, an appropriate light. Because of his love, we can be confident in who we are as children of him. And we can love other people appropriate. And all these great outcomes of the love of God. But what I want to do today is I want to finish the series with a warning. Because just like anything else that's valuable, there's, there's some counterfeits. 
There, there, there's some danger as, it, as, as we talk about this idea of love. And every single one of us at all of our campuses has a magnetic pull within us towards something that, is, that is, looks a lot like love, but it's actually not. To something that, that feels like it may pay off in the end, but actually it's, it's going to cost us a lot. A, a counterfeit version of love. And so I want to finish with kind of a warning. Not a warning as in a hellfire and brimstone warning, but a warning from the heart of a father that wants you to experience all that he has for you, but recognizes that many of us will end up attaching our lives and our hearts to, to something that's counterfeit, that's going to leave us empty at the end of the day. So first, the warning. If you have your Bibles, 1 John chapter 2 and verses 15 through 17. That's the, the scripture that we're going to study today. And here's what it starts with. 1 John two fifteen. This is the warning. Do not love the world or anything in the world. That's the warning. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Don't fall in love with the things of this world. You may say, well, wait a minute, Josh. Doesn't the Bible say that God loves the world? Like, what's going on? Is this a contradiction? What's happening? The, the Bible uses the word world in a couple of different contexts. In Genesis, it talks some about the world as the literal structure, the earth that God created. In John 3.16, which is one of the most famous verses where it says, God so loved the world, he's talking about the people in the world, talking about humans, God's love for humans. That's not what this verse is saying. This verse is actually talking about a value system that the world has, the, the stuff that we accumulate in the world. And he's saying, don't, don't fall in love with those things. It's a, a, a warning. It's, it's going to be dangerous for you. What's interesting about it too to me is that He's not saying don't enjoy the things of the world. The word love there that he uses when he says don't love the world, it's actually the word agapeo in, 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 in the Greek, and it's the highest form of love. It's, what, what he's saying is don't, don't agape the world. Don't, don't allow your heart to be so attached to the things of the world that, that you, you love them in, in the highest form of the word love. He's not saying don't enjoy the things of the world. He's not saying that you can't have things. We don't have to just you know, live in a poverty mentality, but he's saying don't get attached to it because it's, it's going to be dangerous. And then he begins to kind of build a case for why we shouldn't love the world. And so what I want to do for just a couple of minutes is I want us to look at this idea of loving the world and, and ask the question, how do we know when love is real? How, how do we know when I'm, I'm dealing with the true love of God versus the counterfeit love that the world offers us. And there's three ideas. If you have your outline sheets, you can kind of follow along there. The first one is this. False love is fickle. God's love is faithful. There's a big difference between God's love and the love that the world offers us. And the love that the world offers us is fickle, always changing with the wind. It's not reliable. You can see this in our culture, can't you? I mean, I feel like over the last 10 years, this idea of love has become more and more of a value in our, our culture, and that's a good thing. We ought to love each other. We've got to love everybody. And, but, but the problem is that the definition of love changes all the time. You know, what was right 10 years ago is wrong now, according to our culture. What was wrong 10 years ago is right now, according to our culture. It's always changing. and It's a moving target, but God, His love is faithful. God's love is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's, he hasn't changed he hasn't changed his mind. His love is consistent and it's faithful. And, and if you look at verse 15, you'll see that there's not room in the human heart for both. 
says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. I love the way the message version says it. Verse 15 says, don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. See, there's not enough room in our hearts for both. When we become in love with the world, it squeezes out the love that we have for the Father. In the same way, the more that we go after God, the more that we give God our heart, the less attached we're going to be to the things of this world, to the stuff. There's not room for us to be in love with both of them. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 6, verse 24. He said, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and, in this case, money. Saying, you can't, you can't serve both of them. There's not room in our hearts to be growing in love for both of them. We're either growing in our love for God or we're growing in our love for our stuff, but we can't be doing both. So what do we do? I mean, does that create some tension in you? I know it does for me. Like, how do I know if I'm growing in my love for God and my love in the world? What, what, what do I do with that? I love Matthew 6, verse 33. I think it gives us kind of a good framework to, to evaluate our own hearts. He says, Jesus again says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, if we'll grow in our love for God and his kingdom, then he's going to give us the rest. But if we seek first the things of this world, they will ultimately crowd out the love of God. The biblical word for that is idolatry, right? It's, it's when we, we, we place things at such a high value and at such a high place, then the Bible speaks very strongly about that because God knows what it will do to our heart. So question for you, what's squeezing out the love of God in your life? Think about that for a minute. Is there anything that's squeezing out the love of God in your life? Usually it's not a terrible thing. Often it's things that are neutral or even good things, but they take, they take the wrong place in our heart. We begin to give them our affection. It could be uh, your work or it could be money. It could be family. It could be you know, your political persuasion. It could be anything uh, that, that we allow to take a, a wrong place in our hearts. So I'd ask you to evaluate on that. Uh, Tim Keller wrote a book called um, Counterfeit God. And one of the things he talked about with idolatry is he said, one way to test if you have an idol in your life that needs to be broken down is to think, what do I daydream about? What do I think about throughout the day? Was there, is there anything that you're kind of fixated to, you're, you're daydreaming about it, you're, you're obsessed with it, and go, has is that, is that become an idol in my life? And if so, let's pay attention to that because it's a very strong warning. Don't love the things of the world. They'll crowd out the love of the Father. So do a quick inventory, financial, social media, your time. What are, what are you talking about? What are you focused on? What are you obsessed with? And is, has that become an idol for you? False love is fickle. God's love is faithful. Second thought here, false love is frustrating, but God's love is fulfilling. False love is frustrating. Have you ever wanted something really, really bad? Then when you finally got it, you realize that it wasn't all that you thought it was going to be? I don't know if you've ever done this. Maybe you're in a season where you need a, a new car or a new car to you and you start to get fixated on the kind of car that you want. You start seeing it everywhere. It's like all you can, it, it becomes a center of your attention. 
then maybe you, you, you save or you get to a point where you buy it, and then you realize it's just a car, you know, just like your last one. It's just a little bit different, maybe a little bit newer, but it's, it's kind of frustrating. It's a bit of a letdown at times. That's the nature of the love of the world. This next passage or next part of this verse in verse 16 says it this way. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything that we see, and pride in our achievements and our possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. He breaks down three different areas that we tend to, to crave, these desires that we have. He talks about the, the lust of the flesh is, is the physical craving. Some of the versions of the Bible call it the lust of the flesh, and it's a desire for physical pleasure. This is probably best embodied in the namesake of this series, the summer of love, back in 1967, where a, a culture, a generation said, you know what, if it feels right, do it. If you want it, go for it. Just let's, let's cast off restraint and let's give full um, vent to our pleasure and let's do whatever we feel like doing. And what you'll find out if you study that is that it left a generation feeling ultimately empty. There were, was a baby boom in the spring of 1968, but otherwise they didn't have much to show for, for, for this summer of love, that just giving full vent to their pleasure. And I can tell you, I've, I've lived this way. 17 years old, I moved out of my house and I, I moved down to the College of Charleston and I just thought, you know what? As a pastor's kid, I've had all these rules and regulations and curfews. I'm just gonna go for it and do whatever feels right. And it took me about three months to realize that this road was gonna take me to some really, really dark places. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. He's saying, don't give way to, to the lusts of the flesh. The world's gonna offer this great thing, but here's the problem. The world gives you its best first and it's all downhill from there. With God, every day gets better with him. Every, every moment in his love gets better in God's love. He talks also about the lust of the eyes. This desire for things that I don't have. It's the stuff that you see that you think that you have to have. Biblical word for it is covetousness. And it can be frustrating. It'll, it'll leave you feeling empty. What does coveting mean? Why is it such a big deal? You know, we covet a lot of things. The Bible talks about it. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It says, don't do it. You know, in the Bible, they talk about coveting your neighbor's donkey or your neighbor's wife. And here's the reality. It hasn't changed a whole lot. Now, it may not be donkey, but it's your neighbor's car, your neighbor's house, your neighbor's, you know, family, your neighbor's Instagram account, you know, whatever. You, you kind of find yourself coveting stuff that, that you don't have. I remember several years ago, I was able to go with my dad, uh, who's the founding pastor here at Seacoast, uh, where we, we were teaching together at a church in Europe. And uh, we were getting up that morning on a Sunday morning, and uh, they were, they were going to pick us up because we don't want to drive in, in that culture on you know different side of the road or whatever. And so we get out to the street, and the car that comes to pick us up is a brand new Bentley. I mean, like, I've never even been around one of these, let alone ridden in one, and it was beautiful. I mean, it was amazing. And I remember as we were driving in this Bentley, riding in the back of it, uh, I could see on my dad's face the coveting, you know, why don't, why don't they give me one of these at Seacoast? Well, they don't be treated like this there, you know. No, I'm, I'm joking, but, but a little bit. I mean, there's, it, it felt kind of cool to be in it. Um, and, and by the way, the guy who picked us up owns a dealership. Uh, and so that's his service to the church. When they have guest speakers, they like to treat them well. And so it wasn't that they spent this exorbitant amount of money on a car. They just had a connection. So if any of you have luxury cars and want to offer that, 
just thought about that. Yeah, maybe that was spirit-led. Uh, but but here's, here's what was interesting about the Bentley. We're, we're driving to the church, and uh, we go to turn the radio on, and it doesn't work. It's a brand-new Bentley, and the radio doesn't work. And he, here's the reality about our stuff. However nice it might be, it's fading away. It's stuff. Don't, don't give your heart to stuff, especially other people's stuff, because that not only hurts you, but it also damages relationships. When I start coveting somebody, I'm not going to be generous towards somebody that, that I'm coveting what they have. It doesn't produce a, a spirit of gratitude in me. In fact, James talks about the danger of coveting. He says, James 4, verse 1 and 2 says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war and take it away from them. And apparently there was a situation going on here where people were fighting. People were, there were relationships that were being broken up over this jealousy and over this coveting. That's why John gives us this warning, don't love the world. Don't give way to the lust of your eyes. It's going to hurt you and it's going to damage your relationships. A third aspect that he talks about is the pride of life. He says, pride in, in what you've accomplished and what you've achieved. He says, don't do it. We, we, we all know if you've been in church very long, the Bible talks about the fact that pride comes before a fall and that God opposes the proud. This value system that we have in our, our world that would elevate things like power and status and money actually work in direct opposition to the value system that God has, which is that he gives grace to the humble. He steps into those who recognize their need for him. His power is made perfect in our weakness. God, God wants us to be a people who recognize our need for him. And so he's saying, don't, don't get it wrong here. Don't get attached to this value system. It's going to be trouble for you. Well, what about you? Are you feeding those cravings, the lust of the flesh, maybe struggling with covetousness and the lust of the eyes or pride of life? It'll leave you empty. It'll leave you frustrated. Don't, don't, don't give your heart to those things. False love is fickle. It's frustrating. One other difference as we kind of close our time together. False love is fading, but God's love is forever. False love is fading. God's love is forever. Verse 17, and this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. I love that verse. Just a, a very clear, simple reminder that everything around us, the stuff that we're tempted to give our hearts to, it's going to fade away. It's going to fade away. So it leads us to ask the question of our legacy. What would we give our lives to? What could maybe outlast us? What could we invest ourselves in that would, would go far beyond where we are today? And he's saying, when you do the will of the Father, when you give yourself to the things of the kingdom of God, that you invest yourselves in things that will last forever, that one day we will be on the other side of eternity going, man, I am glad that I lived my life for things that matter now, not things that just mattered then. Think about like a middle school crush. Any, any of you married to your middle school sweet, sweetheart? Not very many of us, right? But we get so wrapped up. And if you remember, it was so important, such a big deal. When we give our hearts to the things of the world, it's like investing everything you have 
in that middle school crush and realizing in, in later in life, man, that, maybe that wasn't as big as I thought it was. Maybe that wasn't as important as, as, as I once thought it was. So the warning is simple. Don't fall in love with the world. You know, the love that God has for us is so valuable. It's priceless. One moment of experiencing that love will change you forever. And yet God gives it to us for free. He offers it to us for free. He already paid for it for us. The world's love is cheap, but it comes at a high cost if we give ourselves to it. I'll close with this story of a guy named Sir Martin Frobisher. Most of us probably haven't heard of him. I read about his story this week. He was an intrepid English privateer. That's a fancy way of saying a, a legal pirate, basically, back in the 1500s, the, the 16th century. And he came over from England, and he was a part of a big generation of people that got fascinated with, with gold, with mining for gold, with looking for gold. And, and he began to mine in this new world, and he, he came upon a rock that was shiny, that looked like it was very, very valuable. And so they ran some tests on it, and they, the, these sparkly rocks began to get people's attention. He brought some of them back to England, and, and people said, man, I will, I, I will pay for you to go back. You've got to get more of that. You've got to get as much of that as you can. And so money was raised, and they sent him back, and he mined for this rock, had a group of people that did it, spent a large part of his life mining for this rock. And then he brought 1,400 tons of that rock back in, in, in July of 15. 77, there were shipwrecks that claimed some of it, but the rest of it made it back to England. After extensive testing, it turned out that this incredible material, this incredible mineral that they thought was gold, was a mineral called pyrite that made it sparkly, but it wasn't actually gold after all. In fact, it's known as fool's gold, fool's gold. Now, in his defense, samples of this a uh, mineral that he found, discovered, and tested that it did have some gold in it. Five parts per billion is what was in it. But it was enough to fool him, and it was enough for him to give his entire life towards something that ended up being fake, ended up being false. What if you spent your whole life in pursuit of fool's gold rather than the real thing? You know, just because it glitters doesn't mean it's gold. Just because it feels right doesn't mean it's love. That's why we're finishing with this warning. You know, Jesus said it this way. He had encountered a guy, and maybe you're here going, okay, Josh, I think I'm good here. I think I'm, I don't know that I'm, I'm in love with the things of the world. I don't know that I'm there. How do I evaluate that? A man came to Jesus, and he said, I want to follow you. I've, I've kept all of the commandments. I've done everything you've said to do. How, how can I follow you? And, and Jesus looked at this man, and he saw that there was a grip on his life for the things of the world. And he said, here's what you need to do. Sell everything that you own and give all the money away to the poor. And this man sadly turned around and walked away and said, I can't, I can't do that. What in your life, if God told you he wanted you to give it away, he wanted you to give it up, is it your career? Is it finances? Is it the security that maybe your home or the possessions that you have bring? What is it in your life that if God said, I want you to sell it. I want you to, to, to walk away from it, that you would go, I, I, don't, know if I, can, I don't know if I can do that. I, I don't know if I can walk that road. I don't say that to make you feel guilty about it. I say it to hopefully allow God, the Spirit, to, 
to highlight some things that maybe have a place in your heart that, that, that's going to ultimately be destructive for you. Jesus said it this way, what, what good does it do for a man to profit the whole world but lose his soul? Seacoast, let's be a church that's anchored in God's love, not a counterfeit version of it. Let's not be a church that looks back at the end of our life and goes, man, why did I invest so much of my heart into something that ultimately is going to fade away? Well, what are you pursuing? Are you pursuing the love of God or are you pursuing a counterfeit? I want to pray for you as we close. God, I thank you so much for your love. God, I can't help but just reflect on how different my life is for having experienced your love. God, how uh, different my family is for having experienced your love. Not one of us can really fully get our mind around, our hearts around the love and the grace that you have for each of us. So God, I just pray for our church today at all of our campuses. I just pray that we would be a people that pursues that love, that just bathes ourselves in that love. God, that's, our, our lives are changed by that love, that we wouldn't be a people who fall in love with the world or the things in it, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And so God, my prayer, I guess, today is fairly simple. Would you highlight anything going on in our lives, any area of our lives that may be too attached to something that may not be a bad thing, but given number one priority in our life, it could ultimately be destructive. And I just pray that your spirit would move today among all of our hearts, that we would reflect on where we are, that we would take steps towards putting you first and fully experiencing the love that you have for us. God, we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.